Well, we've been talking about prayer. We talked about prayer without talking about prayer. Then we talked about prayer with talking about prayer. Um, in two weeks, uh, we're going to start doing a series on the book of Nehemiah. Um, the book of Nehemiah is largely about rebuilding. And uh, I had actually mentioned to Frank like a week or two ago that I was thinking of going through Ephesians. Uh, and God kind of put Nehemiah on my heart as we as a church are, are going to try to rebuild this church and this community and the kingdom of God in this community. You know, it, it just struck me that Nehemiah would be a great place to start as they seek to rebuild what they had lost. Uh, it, it's a time of healing, a time of rebuilding, a time of growth, uh, which is exactly what we need. So we'll be looking uh, through the book of Nehemiah. Um, but before we do that, I, I wanted to continue to beat the dead horse of prayer. Because I feel like it's so, so very important. Last week we talked about uh, the three Ps of, uh, of prayer. I believe that was the first sermon I ever used alliteration in. And I believe it was the last sermon I ever used alliteration in. But it just kind of worked out. The first pre P of prayer is just coming in God's presence. And, and just imagining those angels singing, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. The whole earth is filled with the glory or the weight of God's presence. The second P was participation, that when we come before God and, and we're laid bare before him and we receive the healing touch from God, he generally has a purpose for us, a mission for us. And so he'll tell us to go, go do this, go say that. And so he's calling us to participation in his mission. And then the provision dynamic is where we normally start, right, where we start asking God for things. Well, in this situation, we come before God. God gives us that mission or that purpose and then we see the needs before us. And then we seek God. Well, how are we going to do this? We don't have enough money. We don't have the right building. We don't have this. And then we seek God for that, and he'll provide for us. This morning what I want to do is just continue with that idea of coming in God's presence as, as where the power of prayer comes from. And consider, uh, as we seek to grow this church, uh, when we talk about our prayer life as a church, we talk about praying for our church and praying for the, the growth of our church. Where does the power come from? Uh, and I immediately think of Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. So we're going to look uh, at Acts chapter 2 this morning and just see um, another way that we can gain power in our prayer life as we seek the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, uh, this is typically known as the day of Pentecost. It's kind of the birthplace of the church. Uh, what's happening in what I'm about to read is uh, Jesus was, you know, he had his three years of ministry with the disciples um, he was crucified, he rose again, he was resurrected, and he instructed his disciples again, saying that there will be power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you'll receive power. But until then, wait. And so the disciples went, and they were still kind of afraid for their lives because of what had happened to Christ. So they kind of tucked away in this room, and they just waited, and they prayed, and they read the scriptures, and they fellowshiped with one another. And then on this day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit arrived. So beginning in verse 1 in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what's amazing about the... Well, what's amazing, I mean... Tongues of fire and tongues and stuff. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> but this was a turning point for the disciples in their ministry. 
So the disciples for about three years had followed Christ and they'd been trained by Christ and Christ sent them out to do ministry and then they came back and kind of debriefed and, and grew in that. But then when Christ was crucified, they all kind of disbanded. They didn't know what to do. They panicked. And then when Jesus was resurrected and they received that, that extra um, instruction, you know, gather together and just wait. They came together, but they didn't know what they were waiting for. And what they were waiting for was truly amazing. It was the birth of the church. So for as much as the disciples uh, saw Jesus and, and learned from Jesus, and for as much as they witnessed him doing ministry and, and him performing miracles and him engaging in people, for as much as they received the Great Commission, right, that he said, go into all the world and make disciples. It wasn't until this moment when the Holy Spirit came upon them that they were really empowered to do the mission that God had given them. Uh, Luke, who was the author of Acts in chapter 2, continues on and said, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And so what's happening here is there's, there was another Jewish festival, so there were pilgrims from all over the world coming together in that place. And at that time, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the disciples started speaking in their languages. When these guys were uneducated, they didn't go to college and learn languages. They didn't you know, go through the military to learn the languages. And there were people from all those places are spread out all over the place. So there's no way that they could just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we just learned these languages? They were all over the place. And yet the Holy Spirit gave them that ability to speak in the tongue of those people who were there. So now if you imagine that, if you imagine, you know, 12, 15, 20 people, however many were there, speaking your language when you lived, you know, in Oshkosh, Bagash, whatever it is, uh, it, it would kind of blow your mind, right? And so in Acts it says that there were people there that started making fun of them, saying, oh, they're drunk. Look at this mess, they're drunk. So Peter got up and he delivered probably the most powerful sermon up to that point, other than Jesus and he started out by saying, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. But from uh, the Old Testament through to Jesus, Peter shared the gospel with the people. He shared who Christ was, that it was all foretold in the scriptures before that, and that Jesus was the one that fulfilled all that was said. And then at the end of that passage, it says that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people became believers that day. That would be a good day for City Light Church, would it not? <laughs> Mike, I'm going to have to ask you to fit about 2,980 more chairs, if you don't mind. <laughs> All right, so pop quiz. And I'm going to be nice and tell you it's a trick question. How many people did Peter save that day? 
I shouldn't have been nice. <laughs> None. Peter was merely obedient to God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The disciples weren't able to speak in the tongues of other people because they learned them. It was by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Paul later on wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, the church in Corinth at the time was having some problems, some issues, and Paul was trying to address them. And one of the issues they had was that there were multiple pastors in the church, right? And, and when I say church, it could have been a region or whatever, but they were arguing basically over which pastor was better, right? Now, you don't have that problem. I was hoping for a little more encouragement. But, but what Paul writes in to address that is this. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And so Paul was making it very clear the only thing Apollos was doing was being obedient to the Lord. The only thing Paul himself was doing was being obedient to the Lord. But it's God who used that obedience to cause the growth. Um, my testimony, I've, I've shared bits and pieces of it, but um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up with an alcoholic father, so... Around age 11 to 13, roughly, was my dad's drinking was at its worst. And um, it was when I was 13. I had been going to a youth group for about a year, give or take. And I'm sure they were teaching me about Jesus. And I'm sure that I heard the gospel, but I didn't actually hear it. You know what I mean? Uh, but we went to a winter retreat, and this guy just laid out on the Saturday night. He laid out who Jesus was. He laid out uh, that empty feeling you have inside is your sin, and that sin separates you from God but God still loves you. And so he sent Jesus to die for you, to take care of that sin so that now you can be in that relationship with God. He didn't say anything super fancy that I remember. Um, he showed a, a music video, Michael W. Smith, Old People. Remember the Old People and Amber? Um, his Secret Ambition. Remember that one? I'm not going to sing it. I'm tempted. But I'm gonna... They had a, a music video. Um, that showed, kind of showed dramatically the, the crucifixion of Christ, what he went through. Kind of like the Passion of the Christ movie, but it was a music video. It would be terribly embarrassing to watch today. <laughs> um, and I just, I remember just sobbing watching what he went through for me and just being how struck by how much God loved me that he would endure that for me. But as I think about that, again, there wasn't anything special about this guy. He wasn't super dynamic. The video was cool, but that's not what grabbed me. What grabbed me was this sense of God being with me and embracing me in that moment. When, when the guy was saying that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, I felt God's love. I felt Jesus with me. And so that is what saved me. That, that sense of God working in my heart is what drew me to him. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit was quickening my soul. It was, it was drawing me to him. It was making me come alive inside because I realized that God was with me at that moment. And that's what we're looking at in Acts chapter 2. And that's what I want to focus on for us at City Light Church. So how does this translate to prayer? Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So the prophet in that moment was, was foretelling the death of Christ, the one who was pierced, but also the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the spirit of grace and supplication. Grace and seeking for grace. Or the, the ESV says, a spirit of grace and pleas for grace. Crying out for God's grace. The Holy Spirit breathes the spirit of prayer within us. When we, when we use those three Ps of prayer and we come into God's presence, we don't start with our own needs and our own desires and our own agenda, but we come before God in humility and seek Him out and seek His mission, then His Holy Spirit will fill us and our prayer will be aligned with Him. And the power of our prayer will come alive because we're empowered by that Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus foretells the coming of the Spirit. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now to Jewish people, they, they didn't have the understanding of the Trinity. Right? Having one God was, was part of their identity. They didn't understand the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So if you look through the Scripture in the Old Testament, you can see the Spirit here and there, but they didn't understand the Spirit the same way that we do. But then when Jesus came, you think about the baptism, and you hear the voice from heaven saying, This is my Son whom I, with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit himself descended from heaven upon him. Right? You see the Trinity in that moment. And here's Jesus who's about to leave the earth, this is one of the last kind of instructions he gave his disciples. And he told them, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you this helper. And this helper is going to guide you to truth. This helper is going to be there for you and he's going to live in you. In John 16, part of that same message, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's amazing to think that, that, that God, that holy, holy, holy God, that God of, of justice, right and wrong are defined by him and his character. And that God loves us. And that God sent his son here on earth to take care of our sin, to die for it so that we can be reunited with our father. And then the father and the son sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, to teach us truth, to help us, to point us to Christ. Right. So now when we have these, these 
challenges before us or a, a decision to make, and there's a right and a wrong, and we're not sure which one, we can pray and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to help us, guide us to the truth, to guide us to Jesus. Powerful prayer is rooted in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. When we pray, when we, when we calm ourselves and humble ourselves and come before the Lord, we know also that the Holy Spirit is working in that time. That the Holy Spirit is guiding us to the truth. He's pointing us to Jesus. The Bible is, is largely how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, right? As we read our scriptures and we memorize scriptures, have you had that moment where you're, you're like talking to somebody and all these scriptures are popping in your head that you haven't thought of for 10 years? That's the Holy Spirit working in you, guiding you to truth. Peter's sermon in Acts, the book of Acts, he refers back to the book of Joel. He refers back to the Psalms. He's, it's the Holy Spirit working in him, using scripture to bring the truth of Christ to light. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do this. Andrew Murray, a theologian, calls prayer the index of the measure of the Spirit's work in us. Prayer is the index of the measure of the Spirit's work in us. Uh, in another book called Mighty Prevailing Prayer by Wesley Dewell, I'm going to say, he said, when the Spirit works in you only feebly, then your prayer life will be weak and powerless. The more mightily the Spirit works within you, the more mightily will be the results of your praying. The main reason for prayerlessness is that the Spirit indwells you only minimally, almost nominally, and not in his fullness. God can work through your prayers only as he is truly Lord of your prayer. That lordship is exercised entirely by the Holy Spirit. Prayer vision is spirit-given vision. Prayer hunger is spirit-given hunger. And prayer power is the mighty power of the Spirit pouring through your whole spiritual being. And when he says he is truly Lord of your prayer, that word Lord means submission to God. That we are submitting to the authority of God. That we are speaking of God's authority over us. And we're bowing down to that authority. In the power of the Holy Spirit, again back to the uh, book of Acts, the new church, the church that was birthed from that moment at Pentecost, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread or communion, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's one way to look at this and think, that sounds like a lot of time and a lot of work. But there's another way to look at it and think, wouldn't it be amazing if church was all about gathering together as believers, sharing meals with one another, encouraging one another, praying with one another, providing needs for one another, blessing one another. Wouldn't that be amazing? In Acts chapter 3, the next chapter, Peter again is, is preaching another sermon to a group of people. And in the process, he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out 
that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that phrase struck me, times of refreshing. Who could use some refreshing right now? Right? Yeah. Our daily lives are enough, right? Teaching kids, God bless them, is enough. <laughs> Paying bills is enough. Going to work, dealing with customers. Are there any, like, retail people here? Okay, I was going to pray a special blessing over you. I've been there. <laughs> but on top of just daily life, we've had the COVID thing going on. We've had a political year. We've had racial rights. We've had, you know what we've had. And Peter preaches, a time of refreshing may come from the Lord. In Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And this, in a sense, was a declaration of what his ministry was to be. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as I read that, that, that gets me excited. Let me read that again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As I'm working at, at Keystone, and I'm introduced to these homeless men and women, and I'm hearing their stories, it excites me that Jesus says he's proclaiming good news to the poor. As we can't help but be overwhelmed by the chains of addiction, not just in this city, but, but in our country and our world, but in particular in our city. And yet Jesus proclaims freedom for the prisoners. We see all around us the hopelessness of poverty that exists in this city. Not just the homeless, but people who are, maybe they have an apartment, but they're, it's stuffed full of people. Or they might have an apartment, but there's no beds for the kids. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. And yet Jesus proclaimed good news for the poor. As I read that, as it gets me excited because I know that we have the answer at City Light Church. We know the answer, right? We know what the cure is. And as I speak to you guys all, I, I get a sense from each of you that there's an eagerness for our church to get to work. There's an eagerness to go proclaim freedom, to lift people up out of poverty, to lift spirits. But at the same time, I'm excited too. But at the same time, I'm reminded to wait. I read Psalm 27 this morning and it ends like this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. There's that confidence. And wait for the Lord. Because we are not the answer. 
but prayerfully we will ask God to use us. We will confidently and patiently wait for God to send us. In Mark chapter 9, there's a story of a demon-possessed boy. Uh, and I remember reading this and wrestling with it years ago. Um, this boy was demon-possessed, and this is after Jesus had uh, trained up his disciples. He taught them how to do ministry. He sent them out, and they were out doing ministry. They were doing well. They were healing people and, and bringing about all kinds of change and, and new believers. But in this story in Mark chapter 9, there was a boy with a demon, and the disciples could not deliver him. They prayed over him, they tried to cast the demon out, and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus comes over, uh, and the, the father of the guy was kind of seemed kind of ticked off, a little agitated. Like, you know, these schlubs are supposed to be delivering my kid, and he's, it's not working. And so Jesus says, you know, well, Jesus delivers. I'm going to cut this short a little bit. Jesus delivers him. Then it says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And I wrestled with that for a long time. What does that mean? I don't understand, like, prior to that, were they just using the authority that Christ had given them and, and they were able to cast out demons? And what does that mean that this one can only come out by prayer? And it occurred to me, I think the disciples were given authority by Christ and they were using that authority successfully and their ministry was doing well, but they started to think that they were the ones doing it. They started to think they were the ones who could cast out demons. And so when Jesus says, this one can only be cast out by prayer, where is he sending them? Back to the presence of God. We have to start with the presence of God. So that story is always a reminder to me that God has given us a mission. He's given each one of you a mission. He's given our church a mission in this city. God has given us authority through Christ to carry out that ministry. We have the authority to cast out demons. We have the authority to, to do amazing things for people. God has gifted us. Each one of us has gifts from the Holy Spirit that superpower us to do the mission that he's given us. And yet, we can often be very quick to think that we are the answer. That we are gifted to do this. The gift comes from the Spirit. And it's only when God empowers us that we'll be able to really succeed. And so as, as we consider prayer, as we consider the presence of God, participating in what he calls us to, and the provision of everything that we need to carry that out, my call to us as a church is just to wait. To wait for the Lord. Just as the disciples sat around in the room and waited and waited and waited and they prayed and they fellowshiped and then the Spirit came upon them. I want us as a church to not jump the gun, to not think too much of ourselves, but to just patiently and quietly be still before the Lord and seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. What I want to do uh, to close us this morning is just spend a few minutes in prayer. Um, and I think what I'll do is um, I'll open us in prayer. And there's, there's three things I want to do is just begin in God's presence, seek out the mission that he would have before us as participants, 
and then pray for provision. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll open us in prayer. I'll leave it quiet for a minute or two. You can pray you know, among yourselves. If you feel led to pray out loud, by all means, go ahead and, and do that. Um, but I'll kind of guide us through those three things. Uh, and then I asked if uh, Dave and Amber would close us with that song, Surrender, again, because it, it meshes perfectly with where I feel like God is calling us. Right? We're, we're excited. We're eager. We see the need. We see that we know the solution. But before we jump the gun, I just want us to calmly surrender to God. Make sure that we're coming to God in humility and waiting for him to empower the ministry that he has for us. So why don't we, why don't we close our, uh, excuse me, quiet our hearts. Um, I'll give it a, a minute or two of silence and then I'll open us. And again, if you feel led to pray out loud, go ahead. If not, just pray quietly. Father, again, we just want to we want to come before you and to acknowledge what a privilege it is to come into your presence, to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Christ, and to come before you with confidence, to acknowledge how sinful we are and how coming into your presence brings about a measure of fear. And yet your word makes it clear that we have nothing to be afraid of. That you have forgiven us, that you have cleansed us, that you are drawing us closer to you through the blood of Christ. God, help us to rest in your presence now, Lord. Would you send your Holy Spirit in this place now and fill each one of us with your spirit? God, as we collectively come before you and, and worship you, we also acknowledge that part of our salvation involves you giving us purpose, that you have a mission for us, that each day of our lives you will cause us to cross paths with people who need to be blessed and encouraged, who need to know Jesus, who need to find hope, And so, God, collectively, we just want to seek the vision that you would have for us, for this city. We want to ask that you would give us a great love for the city, for the individuals, for our neighbors, for whoever you would send in our path. Lord, we know that the city needs Jesus. We know that the city needs hope, and the city needs healing. God, there are those who don't know you maybe have never heard the name of Jesus or they've heard it only after hurting themselves. They need to know you. God, we know there are many who maybe grew up in the church and were hurt by the church or walked away from the church for whatever reason. And God, I pray that you would just help us to have compassion on them, 
to empathize with their struggle and their hurts. God, would you use us to bring healing to your people? Father, in the last few years, you've put, put me in a number of very uncomfortable positions with people struggling with addiction, people struggling with broken marriages, broken homes, uh, suffering terrible grief. And God, everything in us wants to flee from those situations. And yet it has been such a blessing for you to to push me into those relationships, to push me into those places where I'm forced to acknowledge that I do not have the capability to deal with this. Like Mike just prayed, I, I don't have the knowledge. I don't know how. I don't know how to approach these situations. And yet, time and time again, you have blessed me by just showing up. In my obedience to just be there, you've worked through me, God, and I thank you for that. Is to your glory. And God, we are surrounded in this city by, by so much hurt and so much hopelessness and so much poverty and so much addiction. And God, even, even those families who are, are doing well and they're stable financially and they're, they're living comfortably, we know that there is an emptiness in their soul without you. And God, it's overwhelming to think about a place this size with so many people and so many needs. And we're just a tiny little church here. And so God, as, as we come before you in humility, as the vision that you have for us comes to clarity, we just want to express our trust in you, God, that you will provide for us everything that we need. Every dollar we need, every resource we need, the confidence that we need or at least the trust, <laughs> the trust to go into those places where we don't necessarily want to go. God, we're asking that you would provide every need for us. Lord, I just pray again that you would send your Holy Spirit to each one of us, that you would guide us to the truth, that you would guide us to Jesus, that you would clarify for us the mission that you have for us individually and as a church. God, that you would stoke the fires of, of passion to reach the people around us with Jesus, that you would provide each and every need that we have, Lord, in a way that we don't even experience fear or anxiety about our lack, but we know what you've called us to, and we know that you will provide what we need. And Lord, would you keep us humble through that? We know that we have nothing to offer but our willingness to you. Would you send your Holy Spirit to empower us 
to truly make a gospel kingdom impact in this area. And we know that we will be blessed in the process. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I asked uh, Amber and Dave if they would play Surrender one more time, and I just would encourage us to, to sing it prayerfully. Don't just sing it with your minds, but sing it with your hearts and get ourselves as a church in a place of submission to the Spirit and to Christ. That is our prayer this morning, Lord, that we surrender all that we are, all that we have. We surrender all of our dreams and our ambitions. We lay them down and wait eagerly for yours. Fill us with vision. Fill us with love. Give us the green light when it's time to go. Until then, God, we wait on you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismissed. Yeah.